Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. All right, well, hey, it's good to see everybody this morning. It's good to be in God's house uh, as we are getting ready for Christmas, aren't we? It's getting closer and closer. And uh, man, this is a great time of year. And uh, every, every time that we celebrate Christmas, it's important that we get our hearts focused on the reason why we gather. And uh, so as we, uh, as we begin this morning, why don't we just have a word of prayer and ask God to just uh, set our hearts in, uh, in the right direction this morning and uh, as we prepare our hearts for his birth. Thank you, God, that uh, we can just remember your son, Jesus, who, who, who came down to this earth to be the Lamb of God for us. Lord, would you just watch over us today as we study your word. Um, God, that uh, Lord, you'd reveal some deep truths to us that we might be changed, that we might leave here impacted for, for the rest of our lives and, and leave out, out of here as, as your followers. Lord, I um, just thank you for everyone that's joining us today. God, I thank you for our Valley Kids that are doing PJs and pancakes today. God, would you just uh, bless them as well. And Lord, help us now as we fix our eyes on you, Jesus, and on the glory of your gospel. And we just pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, uh, we are in a series called The Gift, and uh, this is our second week. Uh, Last week, we talked about uh, one of the gifts that uh, the wise men brought to Jesus, and that was the gift of frankincense. And uh, today, we're going to talk about uh, the the gift of myrrh that uh, the the wise men brought to Jesus. And uh, following week, uh, we'll be getting to that gift, that first gift that they gave, the gift of gold, and Precious will be teaching on that uh, next week. So I hope you join us for that. But as we've been focusing our hearts and preparing our hearts for Christmas, uh, what, uh, what, what, I, what I remember is that uh, the wise men gave these three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And, and we know that from the book of Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. And uh, if, if you read that verse, it, it says there that, uh, and going to the house, and they weren't in a, in a stable, Um, anymore. This was probably a year or it could have been even two years after Jesus had been born. Going to the house where Mary and Joseph and Jesus were, they saw the child with Mary his mother and they fell down and worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. So what we know is, is at the basics this, the wise men offered these three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, Gifts that were actually incredibly practical, but deeply symbolic. Now, I have to admit to you something. uh, I've had four kids, and I have never received either of these three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But I do have to thank you as a church, because uh, all four babies that we have had, Zoe and Jesse and Addie and Izzy, uh, our church here, you guys have, have thrown us a baby shower. And um, we received, instead of gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, we received gift cards, we received diapers, we received wipes, car seats, strollers, onesies, and usually, you know, some of you that were really like, they got to have this, especially with our first baby, Zoe, was uh, the most popular baby product 
uh, that, that was out. Okay, the, those things kind of come and go. You, you kind of know that. But um, I remember when Zoe was born, the popular baby product during that time was the diaper genie. How many of you have had a diaper genie before? Yeah, okay. So for some reason, you know, somebody thought that we had to have it all, and the diaper genie was part of that, that gift for Zoe that, uh, that we got at a baby shower here at a church. And, um, you know, we, we brought the thing home, and uh, the, the beauty of the diaper genie is this. You don't have to throw those stinky, poopy diapers in the trash anymore. You actually have a specific place for the diapers, and they go in, in the diaper genie. They have a special bag that you twist, and uh, it seals all that stinky fecal matter, you know, in so you don't have to smell it anymore, right? Well, it was, it was awesome right at the beginning. I'll have to admit, it was really nice to just throw those diapers in that diaper genie and twist the top, and you didn't smell anymore. They didn't stink. Until it came to the time where you had to change the bag. And I realized that what is worse than changing a diaper is changing the diaper of the diaper genie. <laughs> if you can just imagine, no more diapers would fit in that thing anymore. And here we have this diaper genie that's full of two or three or four week old poopy diapers. And they didn't think to just put it, you know, provide a black bag. It had to be a clear bag. And so it was just disgusting. And so I realized that um, when it came time to change that, that diaper genie, someone had to do it. That person was me. And I realized at that point why they called it the diaper genie. Because at that point, randomly, poof, it was gone. <laughs> Never to be seen again. <laughs> I think, uh, I think you understand what I mean by that. But man, um, <laughs> the, uh, the wise men, they offered these three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, we'll talk about gold next week, but it represented uh, the kingship of Jesus, and we'll, we'll be talking about that. Frankincense, last week we talked about the priestly nature of Jesus. It was, it was, uh, it was an incense that, that they used, oil that they used and combined it with incense. And they, they burned it in the temple, uh, representing the prayers of the people for repentance and forgiveness. And um, it represented the, the priestly nature of Jesus, that he, he has offered himself once for all time as a sacrifice for sin. And then we get to this gift of myrrh. And I want to talk to you about this gift of myrrh today. Um, so if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn over to the book of Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. That's, that's where we get this, uh, that, that these wise men brought this gift to Jesus. And as you can also see, there's some other passages in Scripture that we're going to be going to, to just understand why did they give this gift to Jesus. So if you're taking notes, the first note is this. We want to talk about the significance of myrrh, the significance of myrrh. Let's talk about that. Just so you know what myrrh is, um, myrrh is a, uh, um, uh, a gum-like substance that was harvested from trees. It's actually uh, very similar to that of frankincense, um, where, where they would take this resin, they would let it dry, and then when you crush it, it would, it would you know, provide a really pleasant aroma. And they would also make oils from this, this substance as well. And you know, if, if you look up in your Bible how many times 
this word myrrh is mentioned, uh, you'll see that, that the word myrrh is mentioned over 17 times. 14 of those are in the Old Testament. Three of those are in the New Testament. And we're going to explore some of them. Um, but uh, as we see, myrrh was used in several different ways in the ancient world. Uh, I've got four ways that, that I, I want to just show you. Um, myrrh was used as a beauty prod- product in Esther chapter 2. Uh, you, you'll remember how Esther was uh, supposed to go into, I think it was, his name was King Ahasuerus, right, during that time. And uh, they put her through six months of beauty treatment using myrrh before she was then brought in before the king. Um, that, that is something you see in Esther chapter 2. It's also used as a perfume. We see that in Psalm chapter 45, Proverbs 7, and Song of Solomon. It's, it's used as a perfume. The ladies would, would use it to make themselves smell pretty. It's also uh, today even used as a painkiller or an, as, an, as an antiseptic. Um, still today... Uh, this is a product that uh, is used in toothpastes, or if you have, have uh, gum disease, it's, it's used to prevent gum disease. It's, it's used in that way. In Scripture, what we see is that uh, they actually offered it to Jesus. In Mark chapter 15, verse 23, as Jesus was hanging there on the cross, it says there that they offered him wine mixed with myrrh. Why did they do that? It was because it was a painkiller. They wanted to give him something that could dull the pain. But what did Jesus do? He rejected it. He wanted to feel the full weight of the wrath of God, full weight of sin as he hung there on the cross. He rejected it. Now, the primary use of myrrh is this. And this, this is where we're going to be focusing, focusing on uh, for the rest of our time together. Myrrh was used not just as a beauty product or as as a perfume or or as an antiseptic or a painkiller. Myrrh was actually used as embalming fluid. That's what it was used for during that day. And, um, you know, we, we, we know a lot about the Egyptians how they used to mummify bodies. Like if, you, if you've seen the, the movie The Mummy or, you know, you grew up with those cartoons of people being all wrapped up, you know, that, that's something that the Egyptians did. Well, the, the Egyptians, they would actually take tons and tons of myrrh and they would stuff a body cavity full of it before they would wrap it up to preserve it, okay? And obviously what it did is it prevented the body from, from smelling. This was a really good smelling substance. Actually, if you want to uh, touch and smell some myrrh, there is some out on the table in the back where the nativity scene is. Um, we have uh, a box that represents gold. We have frankincense, which I think is the white substance, and myrrh, which is the the you know, orangey, yellow kind of substance. And you can smell that yourself if you want to. But they would stuff a body cavity full of, full of myrrh and in that way keep it from smelling. And we actually see at the end of Jesus' life, after they took him down from the cross, uh, I have a scripture here that I'll put up on the screen in John chapter 19. We see that myrrh was used to treat Jesus' body when he was put in the tomb. Um, it says, says there that Nicodemus, in John chapter 19, Nicodemus also, who, had earlier, uh, who, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. And so they took the body of Jesus 
and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. This was a customary thing. Why did they use myrrh for this? Well, obviously, because the human body begins to decompose after death. And so if they're putting it in a tomb, they want to make sure that this is a bearable place to go, and so they just encased it. You see, 75 pounds of this stuff was used, mixed with, mixed with aloes. And uh, they, they used it before they wrapped, wrapped Jesus in his grave clothes. Very interesting. But, but what I want you to know, what I want you to take away from this, is that the significance of myrrh is this, is that the same substance that was given to Jesus when he was born, that is associated with the beginning of Jesus' life, is also associated with the end of Jesus' life also. That is why myrrh is so significant. Now, as we move on, we know the significance of myrrh. Now we want to talk about the symbolism of myrrh. So let's, let's move on to that. That's your second point. The symbolism of myrrh. Now, as, as these wise men had come in before Jesus and were offering this, they were doing it as a symbolic gesture to Jesus, just like the other gifts were. This gift was actually prophetic about Jesus dying. Now, scholars agree myrrh represents Jesus as the suffering servant or as the Lamb of God who was born to die for the forgiveness of our sins. Now, how would he save people from their sins? By going to the place where myrrh was used the most, the grave. That's how he would save his people from their sins. Now, just imagine with me what, what you would have felt like if you were Mary and Joseph, and all, all of a sudden you, you get a knock at the door, and, and here's, here's this huge entourage of people from, from uh, you know, the, the ancient Near East. And you're like, what are you guys doing here? And they come in and they say, hey, uh, we've, been, we've been sent and we brought these gifts for, for Jesus, the, the King of Kings. We bring you, we're bringing you gold. Now, for Mary and Joseph, they would have been like, that's awesome. They were poor. They would have needed some money. Um, they, they, they didn't know it quite yet then, but they were going to find out. Joseph was going to find out in a dream that night that uh, God was going to ask him to then take his family and flee to Egypt because King Herod was, uh, was actually going to, going to kill all the babies under the age, all the baby boys under the age of two there in Bethlehem. Um, God asked Joseph to flee with his family to, to Egypt. They would have needed that gold for that. They offered him frankincense. Now, frankincense, they, they would have understood, was, uh, was you know, a, a gift that was associated with the priesthood. Um, they, they knew that this child had been born um, to save his people from their sin. They, they would have had a reference there that this, this child is, is the once-for-all priest. Maybe they didn't know how it was going to happen, but they understood that there was deep symbolism in that. But then they get to this gift of myrrh. And they open it up and they're like, embalming fluid? Thank you? <laughs> you know, you know have, you, have you ever got that gift that just like bombed at Christmas? You know, or maybe, maybe you've given that gift. Uh, we talked about last week how like, you know, 70% of people love to give to children because like children just love gifts. But 
you know, the people that you don't, you don't like to give gifts to is dads at 2% because you just, you know, you don't know what to get a dad. What do you get a dad? He, you know, he'll just go out and get what he wants, you know. I, I, uh, I can remember gifts that, that bombed for me as, as a child and even as an adult, and they still continue to bomb as, as an adult. Um, for some reason, my parents, they, they thought that every Christmas I should receive a gift that I could open up and be like, thank you, you know, and it was the gift of underwear, right? Yeah. Who, who, else, who else gets underwear at Christmas? Yeah, okay, I'm not alone, okay? <laughs> now, I think that there is a conspiracy going on because for some reason, I don't know if there was a conversation going on, but my wife keeps on giving me underwear every Christmas. That's when I get a fresh, a fresh supply, okay, just so you know, okay? That's when it happens. But I, I open that gift up and I'm just like, thank you. <laughs> Why? Why Christmas, you know? But man, um, we kind of wonder, we kind of wonder, did Mary know? Did Mary know? Did she understand what was going on here? Um, as, as that song goes that, that was written by uh, Mark Lowry, Mary, did you know? Remember that song? It's a pretty song, but man, um, it deserves to be thrown in the trash. Can I just tell you? And here, here's why. Mary did know. Mary did know that Jesus was going to die. Can I tell you how she knew? First of all, uh, Matthew 1.21, an angel came to Mary. And the angel said to Mary, you will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Here's the other way that Mary knew. At Jesus' dedication, Simeon comes and he prophesies about Jesus. This is eight days after Jesus has been born. This is before the wise men even came to Jesus. And it says there, Behold, Simeon prophesied, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul also so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. How would you like that set at your baby dedication? Not very nice prophecy. But based on these instances, the angel, the, the, the prophetic, you know, prophetic uh, you know, prophecy by, by Simeon, and by this gift of the wise men, I believe Mary did know that Jesus was going to be the once-for-all sacrifice for the sin, sins of the world. And based, based on this, uh, we also see that there was prophecy that was written 700 years before Jesus was born. Can I take you to one more passage? It's the, it's the book of Isaiah, um, chapter 53. The book of Isaiah, chapter 53. This is where I want to take you uh, for the rest of our time because here we see the prophet Isaiah make a prediction 700 years before Jesus was actually born. 700 years. He, he, he prophesies with incredible detail what Jesus would come and do, that he would be the suffering servant, he would be the Lamb of God, who would be the once-for-all sacrifice for our sin. And he says this in, in Isaiah, and we'll, we'll start in uh, 53 verse 6, and we'll cover most of this chapter. But he says this about us, about the reason why Jesus came. He said this. He said, all we like sheep 
have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Now, Isaiah here, he, he began by talking about why it was necessary that Jesus came. And it was necessary because there's something about us. He says, we all are like, what? Sheep. We all are like sheep. And can I tell you, that was not a compliment. If you've ever had sheep, you'll, you'll just know how dumb sheep are. Right? You, you just know it, okay? There's three things I want you to know about sheep. Sheep are weak, sheep are withless, and we'll explain that, and sheep are wayward. Okay, let's just talk about how weak sheep are, okay? I uh, had, had an opportunity to go to uh, visit a sheep farm. They had hundreds of sheep, and uh, there in, in northern Michigan, I, I got to go and with, along with the staff of the church that I was at to this farm. And the first thing that I noticed when I got up to where this whole flock of sheep were was that uh, they, they, uh, they had to have protection. They actually had a dog, a massive dog. It was huge. I don't know what, what, what kind of dog it was. Some of you guys probably know, but it was this massively huge dog that, uh, that had to stay with them and live with the sheep to protect them in case anything came to try and attack them. You know, see, see sheep are fluffy, you know, sheep, sheep aren't scary in any way. They, they can't hide, okay? They don't have any kind of camouflage to, to disguise themselves. Think about that. If an animal or, you know, a wolf or something tries to attack them, they don't have sharp teeth. They don't have fangs. They don't have, like, quills that they can shoot. Um, they don't even run that fast, okay? Their legs break really easily. And if something comes after them, instead of like, oh, let's all scatter and let's, let's go find our own hiding place. No, they actually clump together and they say, take your pick. <laughs> That's what they do, okay? And so sheep, we know, are weak. Sheep, we know, are weak. And that, that, that's something that... Um, that is recognized here by Isaiah, all we like sheep. The other thing is, is, is this, sheep are witless. It means that they don't think for themselves. They don't have a mind for themselves. What, what, what happens is when, when, you know, sheep do dumb sheep stuff, other sheep do dumb sheep stuff too along with them. They just follow along, don't they? They, they don't even think. I, I mentioned to you a couple weeks ago how there was an instance where, where <laughs> hundreds of sheep went off of a cliff and they didn't even stop. Okay, I looked it up. It was actually 1,500 sheep. It was uh, in, in 2005, it said 1,500 sheep jumped off of a cliff just following each other, okay? You would think after one and two and three and four, you know, like, stop. Okay, let's not do it anymore, okay? They're all down there dead. Let's stop, okay, and turn around. But no, they didn't. 1,500 sheep, one after the next, jumping off of this cliff. And you can just imagine what that would have looked like. Okay, here's, here's the bad news. 400 of those sheep died. Here's the good news. It was the first 400. <laughs> and you understand why. Because it was like a sheep pillow that they kept on following on, Right? Sheep are witless. Okay, when Isaiah calls us sheep, it is not a compliment. Sheep are weak, sheep are witless, and sheep are wayward. It said there in that passage, all weak like sheep have gone astray. What about sheep do they do? 
they like to go their own way. They like, they, 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 you know, like to get off the path. They get themselves into trouble. And so that's why you have to contain your sheep in, in you know, a safe place. Otherwise, they're going to just wander off, get themselves stuck, get themselves sick, get themselves in a situation that they can't get out of. And what Isaiah is saying is that that's us, that's you, and that is, that's me. That we do the same thing. Here's what he says again, all we like sheep, we've gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We think our way is better. We think our path is best. And we get ourselves in trouble, don't we? But the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And here's what Jesus, who's also called the Good Shepherd, also known as the Lamb of God, and known here from this, this passage in Isaiah 53, known as the suffering servant, he did for us. It says there in verse, four, verse 3, if you go up, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. This is what Jesus would come and do for us. As you keep on reading and skip, skip that verse that we already read, we see in verse 7 that he was oppressed, he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. Think about what Jesus did when he was arrested when he was questioned, when he was put on trial, what did he do? He, he opened not his mouth. He didn't defend himself. He took it. He took the blame even though he was guiltless. Like a lamb that was led to the slaughter. Like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked. How did they know that? He prophesied about that 700 years before as Joseph and Nicodemus, they brought him to that tomb. And with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Verse 10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. You know that thing about myrrh that we recognize right at the beginning? Myrrh smells the strongest and the most fragrant when it is crushed. That's what Jesus did for us. He was crushed. He was bruised. He was crucified so that we could be free. And that's what Jesus did for us. You know what sets Christianity apart from all other religions is this, the sacrifice of the innocent 
for the guilty. Jesus, the Lamb of God. And in Scripture, what, what Scripture does is it, it over and over illustrates this a number of times. But the time that I want to point you to is, is when, when God chose to illustrate this through the Israelites. This was after 400 years of slavery and God had called Moses and said, Moses, I want you to go and deliver my people from, from Egypt. And go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh said, no, and no, and no. After 10 plagues, okay? Actually, after the ninth, after he kept on saying no, actually he said yes, and then he said no, and then he said yes, and then no. And he kept on sending plagues. The last plague that, that God sent to that nation of Israel was what they called the angel of death. And what God had asked the Israelites to do was this. He said, I want you to take a lamb and I want you to kill it. This needs to be a spotless, perfect lamb. It needs to be the best. Something, you know, a lamb that wouldn't deserve this at all. I want you to kill it. I want you to take its blood and I want you to, to spread it on the doorposts and on the top of the door. I want you to spread it there and you can bring up the picture just so you can see that. But this, this is what, what God asked them to do. Take, take that blood and, and spread it there. And that night, it says, says that the angel of death, when, when it came into the camp, it says that those that had obeyed God, who had listened to the voice of God and done this, I mean, we, can, we consider this weird. We consider this disgusting. We consider this gross. But what God did is he, he passed over this home, those homes. What God had said would happen if you didn't have the blood applied to your door was that the firstborn in your family would die, the firstborn son. And what God did is, as he saw this blood applied to the, the doorpost and the top, what they were doing was they were symbolizing something greater that was going to come, weren't they? If we, if we take even those, those, those horizontal marks and those vertical marks, what we see is this, that Jesus came as the Lamb of God, as the full payment. You'll see in those marks also the cross, don't we? You can bring up that point. That Jesus was showing us what he was going to come and do. That he would be that Lamb of God, slain for the sin of the world. That based on his blood as the Lamb of God, that if you've had your had his blood applied to the door of your heart that you could be saved not from the angel of death from, but from eternal death from the wrath of God and so what this substance of myrrh celebrated and recognized was that a substitute had been given for the guilty that's what myrrh represented and that's what Jesus was showing us here in this passage, what sets Christianity apart from all other religions is that a substitute for an innocent was given. And that is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is our Passover lamb. That's him. And so as we read Isaiah 53, verse 5, one more time, I just, just want us to see this. That Jesus himself, it says, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. Now when you visualize it, 
These wise men, they brought this gift of myrrh, a substance that was used to embalm the dead. And what they were doing was they were symbolizing what Jesus would come and do. He was coming to die once for all, foreshadowing what God was going to do through Jesus Christ, his son. Jesus as the Lamb of God who would be slain for the sin of the world. And just as Mary understood this, I believe Jesus also understood this. And it says in scripture that Jesus said this, Luke chapter 9, verse 22, he said, the son of man, he must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, by all the religious people that day he was rejected because they thought that they could by their own religion, by their own good works, by their keeping of a law, get into God. But Jesus said, no, I'm going to be rejected and I'm going to be killed and on the third day be raised. And that's the joy of the gospel that we know. But he didn't stop there. He goes on and tells us how then we should respond to him. He said this. He said, To all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Here's why we follow Jesus. We follow Jesus because he's done everything necessary for us to come to God. He himself sacrificed himself as the Lamb of God and his, his call for us is to respond to him in that way. I, I don't follow him because I have to. I don't follow him because he makes me a better person. I don't follow him because of all his great teaching and his, his way of life. I follow him because of what he did. He laid down his life for me as the Lamb of God. He did what I could not do. And the response that he calls each one of you to is to follow him and lay down your life also for him to deny yourself and follow him because he is king of kings he is our high priest and he is our lamb the wise men they offered Jesus these three gifts they offered him gold Jesus is our king what do we do to a king we bow down and we worship and we follow and obey and we submit to him Jesus is our high priest in that gift that they offered in, in, in frankincense what did that priest do? He offered a sacrifice for sin once for all. He did what we could not do because we kept on doing it over and over and had to do it over and over again. But Jesus was that perfect sacrifice. What do we do to our high priest? It says, come before him boldly, it says scripture. You can come to God through Jesus Christ. And that gift of myrrh, as it represented, Jesus as the suffering servant Jesus was that Lamb of God who was born to die as a sacrifice for our sin. Those three gifts, if we think about them, they tell us the gospel. And the gospel is good news. Good news is that you, you, you don't have to do it yourself. The good news is that, you know, you may not see this as good news, but you are incapable. You, like a sheep, are wayward, witless. You know, you're weak. But Jesus came to satisfy what God 
required of us. He came to do it on your behalf. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And what Jesus has called us to do is to respond by following him, by giving up our life and following after him because of what he did for us. Let's stand. Let's pray together. Let's thank God for what he has done for us. And I I believe that in this room, or maybe if uh, people are watching online today, if you're watching online with us, here's how I believe that God would want us to respond. I believe God would want us to respond with saying thank you. Say thank you to God. Let's just take a moment and just say thank you to God for sending his son Jesus to save us in this way. Let's pray together. You can thank him for his mercy. You can thank him for his grace. You can thank him for the way that he came to you while you were still a sinner. Jesus, thank you. You can thank him for his blood. can thank him for becoming flesh for experiencing things that we do and being without sin can thank him for giving you hope giving you purpose God as we thank you today we thank you that you are the Lamb of God it says in scripture was slain before the foundations of the world God you knew that this was going to be how you were going to save the world. And so we're grateful and we're thankful and we're here to respond just by saying, God, we give ourselves to you and we respond and we want to follow you and deny ourselves and take up our cross and give our life to you. We're grateful, thankful for everything that you've done. So you keep on praying today. I just know here in this room, there's probably some of you here that are also, as, as, as you pray to God, you're feeling the weight, the guilt, or the shame of your sin, and you're thinking, man, I, I don't know if I can do enough to get to God. And that's, that's the wrong question to ask, can I tell you, because you don't have to do enough. Jesus is enough. Jesus is your sacrifice. And God loves you so much, he sent his own son for you. That it says in scripture, if anyone believes in him, you would not perish, but you would have eternal life. And what Jesus calls you as he extends his mercy and his grace and his sacrifice on the cross once for all is that he's satisfied the justice of God. He calls you just simply to repent and to believe and to follow after him. It says in scripture, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so if that is you, and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, and you want to come to saving faith in Him today, if you're here today and you say, I need His grace, I need His forgiveness, I need His cleansing, I need His touch, would you just raise up your hand with me and just say, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me? Would you save me? I need you, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I need you. Yes, praise God. If you're here, I just want to lead you maybe just in a prayer that you can just express to God on your own just to say this. Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, would you forgive my sins? Jesus, would you save me? And would you make me new? Fill me with your spirit so that I can know you and serve you 
and follow you the rest of my life. I believe that you died and rose again for me so that I could live for you. My life is not my own, God. I give it to you. And I thank you for being the Lamb of God. I pray this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's praise God for what he has done in Jesus Christ. And as we end this service, if you prayed that prayer and received Jesus as your Savior today, I want to just encourage you to tell somebody, um, whether it be us, somebody in your community, somebody in your family, tell somebody. And this Christmas, share the hope of Jesus. Maybe you've been in Christ for a long time. Can I just encourage you, invite someone to Christmas Eve. Invite someone to the hope that we have uh, in Jesus. Invite them to a personal relationship. Take some time this Christmas to celebrate the reason why we celebrate this season. Jesus, our Lamb of God. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you were impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.